It's really good to be with you today. Um, You know, we had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'm sure that many of you did as well. Spent some time with family. I went up to my brother's place, and uh, as we were sitting around the living room, we all noticed that my daughter, Sila, who's eight years old, was filling out these three-by-five cards. And it didn't take long for us to figure out what she was doing. She was making a report card for every person in the room. And the categories were really interesting. You know, how are you doing on kindness? Um, You know, how are you doing with eating? And it was good, bad, you know, otherwise, other things like that. Most of us did pretty bad with the eating part. So I've got some things to work on, some changes uh, in my life. Uh, But God is so good. You know, he is the changeless God, the one who indeed uh, endures through eternity. And we have so much to be grateful for that God is changeless. And yet today I want to touch on some of the changes that come our way in this life. Because they can be so overwhelming sometimes. And just to be honest with you, one of the reasons I wanted to share about changes today is because I'm going through a lot of change. And in our work at the Canby Center, we're experiencing a great deal of change. And so I think it's just one of those areas that's, that God's placed on my heart and mind, and hopefully it'll be meaningful for you as well. So I want to just touch base a little bit about some of the ways the Canby Center is growing. Here's a couple of them, uh, food and clothing. Last year, we raised and redistributed about 51,000 pounds of food. It's very likely this year, we're at 92,000 pounds right now, it's very likely that we might surpass 100,000 pounds of food this year redistributed in Canby, and that is wonderful. But it brings so many different changes and challenges to our work in the way that we do that. Clothing, uh, 75,000 pounds has been redistributed so far this year. Grateful for that. Thank you to the many of you who bring clothing to the Canby Center who help us get it to families here in our community who are in need. Another way that we're growing, last year we were at one school with our reading mentors program, Knight Elementary. And this fall now we're at Knight and Lee and Eccles and Trost Elementary Schools. 120 kids are involved in the Reading Mentors Program. These are young, emerging readers, kids that just need a little bit of extra support with their reading. And it's making a big difference when those 60 volunteers come and show up and invest in their lives. Each one of those kids is taking home a free children's book every month that they're in the program through the school year. So that's 120 books a month going out to kids in our community. It is wonderful, wonderful to see. Another area of growth for us is our Thriving Together program. Uh, This will be a new endeavor, a kind of an umbrella program over over the uh, food and clothing distributions that we do so that we're asking those who participate in receiving that benefit to give back to the Canby Center one hour a month. And we certainly could use the help, but that's not the primary reason for us to do it. I have seen so much growth in the lives of those who come and serve at the Canby Center, those who volunteer and give of their time. Their dignity is strengthened as they serve. And so I want to see that for each of the families who comes and participates and benefits from the program. We'll also be asking them to attend a personal finance class uh, sometime within that first year on the program. Another area of growth for us is uh, partnership with Canby Alliance Church. 
Uh, they have one of the three food pantries in town. Canby Center is one, St. Patrick's is another, and Canby Alliance Church has done typically a food distribution on Saturdays uh, each month, typically two times a month, sometimes one times a month, one time a month. And um, it looks like Canby Alliance Church will be moving their food pantry to the Canby Center and doing that distribution out of our building on Saturdays. One of the reasons I'm excited about that is that we'll be using a redistribution of donated food through the program on Saturdays primarily, along with some purchased food. And Canby Alliance Church's model currently has been purchasing all of the food that they distribute. So it's a little bit more sustainable and we'll think we'll be able to reach more families that way. So these are pretty massive changes for us, but there are others coming our way. We're working on a renewal of our kitchen, and there's some reason for that. We do over a thousand lunches out of our kitchen each uh, year, and over the last year, year to date so far, about 92,000 of pounds of food has been redistributed. Also through our Backpack Buddies program, about 8,000 food packs have gone out to food insecure kids. But so much of that food processing and food distribution and preparation happens here in our kitchen, which is not in good shape. I think when I was with you uh, a couple times ago, I was sharing about our need for a refrigerator. That refrigerator has come, and it has been a huge blessing. Uh, Two-door refrigerator and a freezer, and that's been great. But it's also caused us to really think about the space and what needs to be done in the kitchen. So we are working on some changes to this space. And we've identified some priorities. And the first is relationship. We want our kitchen to be the kind of place where conversations happen, like your own kitchen at home, perhaps. Not so much like a soup kitchen, but a place where relationships can be built and developed. We want it to be a commercially certified kitchen, a place where uh, we can actually legally serve the public food. That's an important step for us. We want to expand the walls a little bit so that it becomes a little bit bigger and a little bit more far-reaching. And we want it to be a place where we can do healthy cooking classes and uh, provide some education, life skills education that way. We'll also be working on brightening not only the kitchen, but changing our lighting throughout the Canby Center. Right now, all of our, all of our lights are fluorescents, and they're a little bit hard on the eyes because they're sort of like the lights you'd have in your shop. You know, the bulbs are kind of right there in your eyes. So we'll be working to change that to LEDs throughout the center, which will save us on electricity as well. It's a big project, and it's a lot to undertake. Um, we have been doing the architectural work and the drafting, all that kind of stuff is in process, and it's really coming together well. Um, in terms of the cost, it's about $135,000 project. But here's the amazing thing. God has already provided through gifts and pledges over $102,000. So we just have about 32000 to go. So be praying with us in that, please. And if you'd consider a year-end gift to the Canby Center to help us with that, I'd be delighted. It's just pretty neat to see it coming together. Last piece I want to share with you about our work in the Canby Center are five strategic initiatives. These are pieces that we intend to work on in the coming five years. I talked about change just a few minutes ago. These are some of the changes that we're working on. The first initiative is really about that kitchen, renewing the kitchen and the lighting through the center. Second initiative will be uh, building financial capacity for expansion of our program. So that involves adding an additional staff person who can help us build capacity, build our, uh, our fund base. 
as well as expanding the Reading Mentors program district-wide. There are two more schools that don't yet have Reading Mentors, Karis and 91, and next fall we would really love to add the Reading program to those final two schools in the district. And then we look forward to, about three years from now, launching a new mentoring program for families and academically challenged youth that will be focused on those who have particular needs and, and a surrounding model, a model of coming around and surrounding those families, and particularly the youth in those families, to make sure they have the resources needed to be successful. And then finally, uh, about four years from now, we look forward to doing a facility master plan, looking at our space and our building and making sure that it's doing everything that it can in serving uh, our community. So changes are coming at us pretty quickly at the Canby Center. And it has me thinking about change quite a bit. I think perhaps uh, the most important role that I have in all of this is helping our staff, our volunteers, key stakeholders, many of you, to be able to process the changes in front of us, to be able to think about it and to understand what our part is in it. You know, no one is insulated from change. All of us experience sweeping changes that have been coming across our world for some time. You know, China and Russia are growing in science and technology, space exploration, and global influence. America is no longer presumed to be the dominant superpower in the coming decades. We've seen radical changes in our country. Conflicts over power and race are increasing. Political paradigms are incredibly fluid. Healthcare costs and healthcare complexity are increasing exponentially. The mass shootings that we have been witnessing recently are worsening. Annual overdose deaths from heroin alone have surpassed deaths from car accidents and from guns. This was back in 2015. And other prescription opioid overdoses are also on the rise. In the Northwest, homelessness and related housing challenges are impacting hundreds of thousands of people. Here in Canby, we are touched by these issues and more. Changes in Canby's population, employers, racial makeup, and the physical, mental, and spiritual health of our neighbors affect all of us. So, as I think about what God has to share with us about change, one of the people that came to mind for me is Joseph. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to chapter 37. We're going to take a look at Joseph's life this morning. And in particular, I want to drop down into three sort of themed moments in Joseph's life. We've already heard this morning that in the Bible there are these themes that pop out. And this is one of those themes. When you see Joseph's life, there's a visual uh, picture that we see of sort of his changes that he undergoes. And each one of them includes uh, his garments, a robe that he has on. And so the first robe that we'll read about regarding Joseph is the robe that his father gives him. Chapter 37 of Genesis, verse 3. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, 
Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, Will this dream you, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And you can imagine how his brothers are feeling when Joseph comes out to check on them out in the field. They see him at a distance, verse 18. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty with no water in it. Skipping down a little bit, verse 28. When the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph wasn't there, he tore his clothes and he went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there, where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. Then they took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him, Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning, I will go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So, Jacob gives Joseph this robe, this beautiful, glorious, splendorful robe that is made as an act of love for his son. I'm not sure if Jacob understood what he was doing at the time, but he was actually kind of giving us a a preview of what was to come in Joseph's life. The people who wear robes, generally speaking, more and more look like royalty rather than uh, the average Joe. And so Joseph himself, getting a robe from his father was something very special indeed. And uh, it prefigures what we're going to see in Joseph's life as he is elevated in Egypt to a place of power. And those dreams that he had touch on that as well. You know... A couple of themes as we look in on these pieces this morning. Change is pervasive and persistent in our lives. It just is. We're going to be looking at Joseph's changing robes, which are really a reflection of his changing life. So think about the components of his life and how it's going as we touch into these elements in his story. And then just lastly, I would say, my conviction is that our response to change truly does matter. 
It's not enough to just let us let change sweep over our lives. We actually have some responsibility in that. And so um, I want to just share that with you. There could be some folks here this morning, some of you might be wrestling with changes in your own life. Some of the most stressful changes that we know of, the death of a spouse, divorce, separation, reconciliation, imprisonment, death of a family member, personal injury or illness, marriage can be stressful. Losing a job, retirement, moving, high-stakes testing like our kids go through with the SAT or the ACT, those kinds of uh, moments in a person's life can really bring some stress. So how did Joseph experience some of those? Well, these are ones that I think Joseph went through. We consider for a minute that he experienced separation from family in a pretty significant way and reconciliation back to family, stressful moment in his life as well. Went through imprisonment as he was wrongly accused and thrown into jail. Death of a family member. His mother died giving birth to Benjamin, his brother. Uh, Joseph was first, Benjamin was second, and when, when Rachel was giving birth to Benjamin, she passes away from complications with the childbirth. So Joseph had a mom and lost her. He lost his job, went through retirement, had to move, and you could say he went through some pretty high-stakes testing with regard to his interpretation of dreams, especially as he stood before Pharaoh. Could easily have been killed had Pharaoh not liked the interpretation. So those are moments that he underwent in his life that are much like the moments that some of us go through in terms of changes. His name, Joseph's name, by the way, means... May Yahweh add or give increase. And it's interesting because that's exactly what Yahweh does. That's exactly what the Lord does in Joseph's life. He adds to what's there and gives increase. And people notice that the Lord is with him. And in Egypt, as he helps to store away the grain and to be be prepared for the famine that's coming, God gives increase and skill to him and his work. His name is fitting. So, Joseph had several periods in his life of stability and then moving toward instability. He was loved by his father, but hated by his brothers. He was uplifted in this dream by God, but then he was cast down to the bottom of a dry cistern. He was sold into slavery and made a manager of his master's house. He was falsely accused and imprisoned, but he was made manager of the prison. He was released from prison and put in charge of all Egypt. But even so, I think he still longed to be reunited with his family. He was ultimately reconciled to his brothers, reunited with his father, and honored by Pharaoh. So when we think about, you know, these moments in his life, a couple of these areas when we touch in on some robes. I want to touch on the three and we'll read about them shortly. We talked about the first one, his father's richly ornamented robe. Really a picture of his father's love for him. And yet there was a stripping away, as we just read about, of this relationship with his father that he did love and a loss of relationship completely with his brothers. The second story we're going to touch on today is the fact that his cloak was ripped away by Potiphar's wife. And it kind of represents, in a sense, 
his dying to the world, all those dreams and all those possibilities ultimately end up landing him in the bottom of about the worst maximum security prison imaginable in his day without hope for release. And the third story touches on Pharaoh's robes, fine linen robes given to Joseph as he interprets the dream and is put in charge of all Egypt. And these changes, these moments in his life are interesting because they represent kind of a cycle or a pattern of change that uh, Joseph goes through and that many of us experience as well. Let's read about the second piece, the second story here. In Genesis 39, verses 1 and 2 here, we'll just pick up and read a little bit in here. Um, Chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. You know, it's interesting, in just a couple chapters, fast-forwarding, similar words are used of Moses. But here we are talking about Joseph for a moment. Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. And one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. You know, anger is a common response to changes we'd rather not have come into our life. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Read Pharaoh, Pharaoh's prisoners. But while Joseph was in there, in prison, the Lord was with him. 
So Joseph was sold into Potiphar's home. He goes through this process of increasing and bringing blessing to the home. Even though he's a slave, he gains prominence and capacity to lead well. And he's doing a great job. In fact, he's avoiding the temptations that are there in front of him and giving honor to God in doing so. But even still, one small mistake and she entraps him, grabs a hold of his robe and rips it off. And uh, she, if she can't have him, will be done with him. And she falsely accuses him. And he is thrown into jail to rot. So, reading on just a little bit, verse 21, chapter 39. The Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. What? The warden puts a prisoner in charge of other prisoners? Are you kidding? But that's what happens to Joseph. The warden paid no attention. Can you imagine? Paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. That is incredible. Here he is in jail, and he's walking through a pretty dark situation. You'll remember that as he is in jail, there are two others thrown into prison with him, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, those who would have been cooking for Pharaoh or providing wine to him. And both of them have a dream. And their dreams are difficult for them to understand. And so they ask Joseph to interpret the dream. Joseph does interpret the dream. And you'll remember that the, they are both lifted up in a sense, but the baker is lifted up and his head is removed. Um, he dies. And the chief cupbearer is lifted back up and he's restored to his position of where he was before as chief cupbearer to the king. And Joseph makes one request of him. He says, when you, when you are released, will you please remember me because I was falsely accused and put in prison here. Please speak well of me when all goes well with you. Remember me and show kindness to me. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison is his request. But we're told that the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And for two more years, Joseph sat in prison. It can be really difficult sometimes as we walk through changes in our life. This has to be a low point for Joseph. I just can't even imagine being in that place and having an opportunity to be released and then being completely forgotten. But that's, that's where he is. And sometimes we can find ourselves in that place, a place of waiting on God for what's to come next. A place in a, in a way of, being, of feeling like we're put on a shelf and wondering what God has for us to do. Joseph has to be thinking back to those dreams that were given to him and wondering how in the world it would be possible that those could be fulfilled while he rots in prison. But he's there. You know, each of us has a certain capacity for change. I think it's kind of like this. We're sort of like a sponge, in a sense. 
some of us might be a small sponge. Some of us maybe are a big sponge. But every one of us reaches a saturation point with change where beyond that point, it is really difficult, humanly speaking, to process more change in our life. And I would imagine there's some of you here today who are maybe in that space where you've reached kind of your limit with change. Now, humanly speaking, that is true. But with God, all things are possible. And he has a way of taking us through difficult changes, changes in family, changes in relationship, changes in our community or our world. And so I just want to encourage you today that even though you may feel like you've hit your limit with change, God can speak through that and do some amazing things. There's another component of change that I want to touch on, and that is uh, this one. Uh, Kubler and Ross did some studies about 30 years ago with regard to the process of death and dying. And as they studied those who were walking through this major life change, they looked at the process, and here's what they discovered. They said, first and foremost, there's often a process of surprise or even denial. Like, I don't really have cancer, you know. Uh, I'm sure the doctor's wrong. The tests, we're just going to get those double-checked by someone. Sometimes there's that sort of phase. And there can be a process of moving into even some anger. I am upset or frustrated with this process. Some bargaining, some dismay or even depression. Before finally there's a phase of acceptance, of embracing the change that's coming through death. But I think this is a good picture in terms of a cycle and a way to think about change in our life. Because many of these are the same emotions that we go through as we process major life changes. When you think about it, especially those changes that we don't anticipate. The call from a doctor. Sometimes uh, the call from a family member who's upset with us. Or other changes in life uh, or even changes in your church here. Things that we didn't count on or didn't expect. We can go through feelings of anger at times. We can go through a process of even bargaining with those people that we're involved with or bargaining with God, trying to make some sort of a deal to to bring anything but that change. I think Joseph, no doubt, experienced some of those pieces as well. You think about his dreams at the top, kind of a high point for him, but moving into a place of being sold into slavery, Joseph's desperation in prison, ultimately uh, moving back to a fulfillment of those dreams that God had given as he helps the nation of Egypt and the surrounding nations through the famine. And his brothers, Joseph's brothers, walk through a process also. Disbelief, anger, rejection. They don't trust these dreams. They don't really like Joseph. They're pretty angry with him, angry enough to kill him or at least fake his death. And ultimately, I think as they go through a time of famine, they hit some low points themselves. And ultimately, there comes a place late in Joseph's life, interestingly, after their father dies, where there's a point, I think, of greater acceptance of who Joseph is and what God has put him on earth to do. So they're processing that change as well. So I just share that as a way to think about changes that we go through. The last change I want to read about in Joseph's life, this last robe, chapter 41, verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. You remember that Joseph was in prison, and while he was there, he interprets those dreams. The chief cupbearer gets out, and when Pharaoh has a dream that he doesn't understand, the chief cupbearer hears about it and understands and remembers, I know a man who can interpret dreams. And so he tells Pharaoh about Joseph. Joseph is released from prison to come and interpret the dream of Pharaoh. He comes and he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh's dream, you remember, has some weird stuff. There's grain and there's cows and there's these different parts to it. But um, ultimately, it is about something God is going to do in the land. God is going to send seven years of abundance to the land. And the crops will grow wonderfully for seven years. And then there will be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh needs to prepare for that. And it's given to him in two dreams because God will do it quickly, Joseph said. So you need to prepare well. Joseph says to Pharaoh, you should put someone in charge who can look after the grain and store it away in the good years. Someone who's wise. And Pharaoh says... I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. There's that picture coming back to fulfillment. And he put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went out throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. And during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the field surrounding it, and Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. And it was so much that he had to stop keeping records because it was beyond measure. So here's that dream initially given to Joseph coming into fulfillment. And the final robe put on him in his life is one that sticks. And he has a place of prominence in Egypt for his remaining days. So we've covered a little bit of his life journey from 17 years old up through 30. There's more to come. Joseph lives on to be well over 100. And God does some amazing things with him in that time. But I just, I wanted to share with you this morning those pieces and those moments of change in Joseph's life because I think they're visual markers for him. And there might be some visual markers for you regarding the changes you're going through. Think for a minute with me about what those could be in your own life. There might be a lost job or even a series of lost jobs that you may feel have defined your life. You know, often in my work at the center, I will meet someone who feels like that, those kinds of experiences are the defining, shaping element of their life. And they have a hard time coming out the other side and seeing hope. And if Joseph, while he was in the prison, had come to a place of despair, I don't think he would have had the kind of courage, the kind of boldness that he had with Pharaoh. But he maintained his faith. 
you know, each of us has a sort of a default response to challenges and changes in our life. I was, uh, I was a young man. I was three years old when my father died. We moved 17 times before I was 12. And I moved out of my house when I was 14. Those things about my life have shaped me. I don't know anything different from them, but I know that they have shaped me and impacted me. And when I often think about change from my default position, my default response to change, it is often fear, discouragement, and a feeling like I need to get out of here. I got to run. Now that is Ray in his flesh or his humanity. But the good news is God doesn't take us from that place and leave us alone. He takes us from that place and replaces fear with faith. I don't have to fear change. I can choose faith and trusting in God. He can take discouragement and turn it into courage. He can take feet that feel like running and plant them firmly. God has a way of doing that in our lives. We don't have to stay in that place of fearing change if we have feared it in the past. So I wonder for you, as you think through about changes in your own life, and some of the challenges that have come your way, if any of these questions fit for you. You know, what is your default response to change? Do you have a default response that you're aware of when that change comes your way that you didn't anticipate and you really wouldn't welcome? How, how do you react to that? Maybe some of the emotions that we've touched on today come out for you. Be aware of that. And then consider what difference does it make that the Lord is with you. We're promised that in Scripture over and over and over again. And from the lips of Jesus to you, he says, I am with you, even to the end of the age. The fact that the Lord is with us should give us courage and hope and strength. So consider what part that plays in your processing change. And then lastly, I just want to encourage you to consider how has God called you? Maybe like in a similar sense as he called Joseph to help others process change. How is he calling you to help others process change? Dads, moms, how is that going for you as you help your children process change? Church leaders, ministry leaders here, how are you processing change and helping others to walk through the changes that are coming as well? Consider what your role is in it. And understand that each of us goes through an emotional journey as we walk through change. Sometimes the emotional journey is far more impactful to us than the actual circumstances. So, thanks for letting me share with you today. I just want to close in prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word for Joseph and the picture that we have of someone who is walking through tremendous change in his life someone guided by you. We're reminded uh, even in his life that you were with him and we know that that's true of us as we place our faith in you. So help us, Father, as we are prone to discouragement or fear. Help us to turn our eyes toward you. Help us to be walking out in faith and to be trusting you for the changes that you have for us. Help us to be uh, helping others as well. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
Will you stand with me as we close with uh, promises reflecting on God's consistency?